Welcome to What's Your Beef, a Beef Australia production. Each week we will introduce you to people living and working in the beef community and some of the characters that help deliver the iconic triennial event. Hello, this is What's Your Beef and I'm Jane Cudahy. Beef Australia's National Carcass Competition is one of the most anticipated competitions within the industry. Igniting a fierce competitiveness from around the country, Committee Chair David Hill says there's an unprecedented number of plants involved in Beef 24, with some new categories included in the event. In this episode, we'll hear from David, whose industry experience and family's commitment to breeding high-quality beef has seen him at the forefront of some of Australia's most innovative approaches to meat grading. Now, David, you, you're a long-term advocate for the beef industry and as you've mentioned, you have your own uh, beef property in central Queensland. You've also been involved with a number of, of industry bodies over the years. So what is it about the beef industry that, you know, made it a career choice for you? Oh, I would think, you know, I'm, I'm, well, I'm the second generation on our, our property. My um, parents drew the block as part of the Bigelow area scheme uh, and the, in the ballot in... Um, 1971 so um yeah it's my my parents both were um had an experience um you know my father worked at Moray Downs when um when Vesties owned it so he was a head stockman there for 16 years or so and um my mother her her father uh run a successful um Hereford um breeding and, you know, he used to show cattle and he got interested in carcass competitions and all that sort of thing when they actually used to run them out of Gladstone and that's all those years ago when there was a plant down there. So, um, you know, it's always been, you know, I grew up with the passion of wanting to be in the industry and, um, yeah, it's just grown from there basically. And you mentioned that that carcass competition, well, the, the carcass side of things, and we are talking in the context of you being the chair of the Beef 24 Beef Carcass Competition. We'll go into that um, committee in a little while. But in terms of the carcass, you know, we often hear about um, the actual beef production and, and the cattle side of things, but the carcass has obviously always been a focal point for your family in terms of what you're breeding. So can you talk a little bit about that what makes the carcass so important uh, for you and and your family operation? In um, 1994, my mother sent me to a uh, beef carcass appraisal and uh, workshop. Um, so it was all about feedback and appraisal. Sorry, but um, so in yeah, 1994 was when I first heard about Australia's averaging system in the beef industry, and uh, it's always been a frustration of mine in regards to I don't you know we're not a low cost of production country at all, and uh, beef beef production is certainly not. So the whole uh, idea of average being good enough is um, you know something that uh, we've always tried for. So in those early 90s, we were part of the um, EU scheme when it was just the you know the purple tail tags and had a pretty tight um, window for for the premium you know we were turning off you know it was a bigger family operation then but um, yeah we were turning off you know over 300 odd steers a year into that market as I said it was a pretty tight grid they had to be be between 300 and 360 dress sort of thing yeah, we we would had ninety eight sort of percent compliance to that market. So and 
even before that, my uh, father used to take body loads of steers down to Graysmere when they had the fat sales. Norm Milner, who was a, a you know a renowned butcher in um, Rockhampton, he used to buy them all, and he used to rave about the quality of the the product that my parents uh, produced. Yeah, it all sort of evolved from there, and we got involved, in, you know, interested in showing cattle and then carcass competitions and all that type of thing, and. Obviously, uh, I mentioned 1994, which is a pretty momentous occasion, you know, you know Beef 94, but it was the catalyst for uh, MSA, apparently, um, depending on who you believe. And, you know, they served up some pretty ordinary steak at a dinner at Beef 94, apparently. And um, from there, um, you know, we got uh, MSAs, depending on, as I said, who you believe. But also at that time... Um, you know, the, the Australian beef industry was well down the road on, you know, on Viaskin and that type of thing, trying to trying to measure yield as well. So, um, you know, all those things sort of kicked off around that time. And one of the things I, you know, I've, as over time, you know, I think, you know, MSA is, you know, a good, good case to being, you know, the world's eating quality grading system. So, you know, I, I spent several years as the northern representative on the MSA task force and uh, enjoyed it immensely. And I'm a passionate producer of what I be- believe is quality beef. And um, you know, Australia produces a lot of good quality beef. It's well regarded globally. And um, you know, we can't expect to compete on a competitive market uh, globally. So price point's not going to be a point of difference for us. So. Yeah, I think it's got to be quality and all the other things that we can underpin with the provenance of our product. So, so what was it? What were the dinner table conversations like with your family back in the, in the nineties? There, when you you were coming into a, to a really premium and unproven market uh, that had a lot of you know red tape around it. So, you know, what was the real selling point? You talked about quality then, but in terms of you know a a family business. What was it like getting into that? Well, I think you know, I was driven by, by my parents that, you know, as I said, my grandfather, he, he was interested in when, you know, when they used to run carcass competitions out of the Gladstone plant. But, you know, as I said, my father worked at Moray Downs and, um, you know, he used to be on the on the camp. Yeah, I think that was, you know, 10,000 odd uh, bullocks used to be turned off Moray in those days and um, Reg Tyndall. Used to go out there, and um, he was the the buyer, and um, he he drafted them all. And um, you know, Dick Jansen, another legendary sort of fella, he was the he was managing uh, Mora at the time. And yeah, so my father got to basically watch those fellas select the the best bullocks and the, the ones that were ready to go. And um, you know, from there, it's been instilled in my brother and I since we were kids about you know quality beef. And I was fortunate enough to. Another fellow, John Clothier, that I can remember going to a uh, fat sale in um, Claremont with him when I attended Emerald Agricultural College and um, went to have a look at. So John was gave, giving me pointers about quality and that type of thing, uh, you know, in, the, in 1985. So, yeah, it was all, you know, when my parents showed cattle and that type of thing. So it's, you'd just get to you'd grow up with those fellas and idolising some of the the producers that are always successful and hoping to one day emulate some of their success yourself. So, yeah, absolutely. And your family barbecues must get fairly competitive then with who's got <laughs> what stake on, on and how you do it. Uh, well, um, yeah, well, given that we're into the EU market, but we um, took a, 
uh, body load of um, heifers up to Sondella on uh, well, Signature on Farm early this year and um, we got a bit of product back off them and Josie sent me some photos of some uh, dry-aged OP ribs that they'd got off them the other day and they, they were pretty impressive looking. So, yeah, I'd like to be able to have some of that on our family barbecue. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Unfortunately, they're the ones that are going off in the truck all the time and you're not, yeah, not on well, your plate. Uh, that's right, yeah, <laughs> but um, we, we do have the opportunity you know, to buy a bit of wholesale product off them now. But, um, you know, that's the thing, you know, it's it's not hard to buy good quality um, beef in Australia anymore with all the brands and, the, you know, that, that that are available. Like in Beef 2015, we had a, you know, National Cattlemen's Beef Association delegation. You know, they were part of what we was the first time we did a McDonald's tour type thing and um, I actually took them to uh, a butcher shop in Rockhampton and... Um, they were blown away by by the number of you know, branded products that were available in, in, in the shelves there. And, you know, it's only gone bigger and better since then. So, yeah, I used to partake in a bit of rum drinking when I was a young fellow. And when I was, you know, it was Bundaberg underproof or overproof. And, you know, the amount of, you know, everything's gone into the branded type thing. And, you know, you can buy, you know, whatever it is, wine. Uh, alcohol, but you know, beef. There's so you know, every, all there's all these brands, and um, they've all got their own provenance and their own story. And um, yeah, I think it's a great thing for our, our industry that you know that these these brands are well regarded globally. And um, yeah, and you know, we produce beef that's as good as anywhere else in the world. You're speaking to us as the chair of the Beef Twenty Four uh, Carcass Competition Committee. Having been involved with the beef event for so long and watching the development of the carcass competition, what what has that you know development been like for you as someone very invested in, in quality beef and and that eating quality end product? Well, I think it's the um, the the fact that it's you know it's a national competition and um, and beef twenty 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 one. We had 24 plants involved, so, yeah, I think there was, you know, over 20, like something like 22 of them had entries processed. So, you know, the whole idea of it is it's a national competition. We run it over 12 months so that people, doesn't matter where they are in the country, you know, they can um, put their entries in at a time that suits them and, you know, we want that to be their optimum turnoff period, which, you know, understanding how varied the production systems are in Australia. And so that's the idea of the 12 months, and that's evolved over time. I think there was six, you know, plants in Queensland initially. I think that was the first time they went away from the single plants, and that was in 2009, I believe. Yeah, I sort of took over. I started chairing the committee in 2011 in preparation for the the 2012 event. I just can't remember off the top of my head how many uh, plants we had involved, but I think, you know, upwards of 18 or 20 type thing. And we, um, you know, over the years, we've had varying levels of nominations. But, you know, last time... I think we got um, just under a thousand. It was thirteen hundred odd at um, beef two thousand and eighteen, um, and you know a bit COVID affected the last one. And um, you know I'm hoping we get five hundred uh, odd entries for twenty twenty four, which will mean there will be fifteen hundred odd 
carcasses in the competition. So just in layman's terms, just because it is it is such a complex competition, and it is as you say so important that it is a national competition as well, which requires so much work. But but in layman's terms, how does it work over that twelve months? What do how do the carcasses get presented, and and how are they judged? So we we've got expressions of interest have gone out to to those processes. We've got several processing, you know, the majors involved in in the committee. So we we keep building on the relationship that we've built up over time with those plants that are that have been involved in the competition. We've got something unique this year. We've got a couple of awards up for the most successful plants actually this time, which is something not something we've done before. And um, you know, I think it's recognition of how important the processors and their plants and all their workers are to the competition because, you know, we couldn't run it without them, obviously. And, um, you know, it is, it's a significant impost upon, you know, the plants that are uh, willing to take part in the competition. And that's what, you know, the unique side of it is, is, is the whole collaboration piece. And then you've obviously got the exhibitors that put their entries forward and, um, you know, as I said, at the time that suits them. And, you know, at, the, at their peak production periods across the 12 months and we've got six classes for grass-fed and grain-feds and then there's a couple of classes, you know, unrestricted feeding-type classes, but they're all pens of three classes. So, um, you know, light, light trade, 200 to 280 from memory and then, um, uh, yeah, 280 to 340, I think it is, and then um, for, for your heavy trade and then your, your jap ox type animal from 300 to 420 and then um, the open class is an unrestricted feeding class is sort of designed for those uh, high-end wagyu type animals but uh, it's not restricted to waggies or anything it's a straight out msa index with the fat specifications what we call the market specs and then um, the yield equation to get the winners but yeah and then um, we're actually fortunate enough to to be using the master beef camera, you know, so we're using it for the traits that it's Osmeet accredited in. Either with that or that, um, the graders will be brought up to speed on how to use the camera, and um, it'll it'll sort of over, you know, we'll use that to determine, you know, the trait measures of you know, the meat colour and um, the marbling and that type of thing, so that make up the specifications for the for the MSA index. So that'll allow us to to get consistency across the competition. So then we're grateful to Darren Hamlin for, for the use of the Master Beef camera. And, and then we've got Janine Lau, who's been involved since um, I've been involved in the competition. And Janine, we used to fly her around at one time. So she attended every every plant, every every processing and graded every animal. And um, That's a big uh, ask. Well, it's just, it was phenomenal. And, you know, and, I don't think there's too much argument that that uh, Janine Lau's probably the the best best beef carcass grader in the world, and we were very very fortunate to have her. But in this day and age, you know, and the workload that Janine has in her, her job with MLA, we couldn't possibly do that anymore. So we've utilised the camera, and as I said, the traits that it's um, accredited for, and um, yeah, so that's how we'll be, you know, getting the consistency across the across the competition and across the, the 12 months that people can put forward entries for it. 
This competition has really been growing in popularity, but in and you know in terms of entries and and plants being involved. Is that because consumers are becoming so much more part of the supply chain in terms of their demands and and eating quality and that sort of thing, or is it just a natural progression as as the event itself gets bigger? Well, I think you know it's a natural progression. I think that's the. Yeah, you know, we've got to understand the progression of the industry. I think the competition has just followed how how the industry is progressing. You know, it's um, I'm part of the um, you know advanced livestock management technology piece for um, I'm the beef represent beef producer rep on that, so I get to see firsthand the advancements that are made in measuring yield and um, you know eating quality and um, you know they're looking to do it on on farm on a live animal and all that type of thing you know it's just progressing at a rate I think that the competition that's the way we're going we've always since I've been involved had the idea that we you know we utilize all the technology we can have and you know I think about the the whole competition itself and its involvement over time is um, you know you can we've had winners from right across the country and um, we have listened to the processes going backwards and forwards about how successful their 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 producers that supply their plants are and you know I think we with that's the red thing we 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 really want to grab hold of this time is to to get the 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 processes with you know with the way brands have gone and and people supplying um, different you know grasslands. For teas, um, you know, the Greenham's one and uh, JBS, Great Southern and those types of niche-type brands, well, we want those, you know, those processes to to identify their, um, you know, the people with their better better compliances and the better better results to encourage them to be part of the competition so that it only gets stronger, and, you know, and on. We would like to see the West Australians, possibly if you're a Queenslander, uh, to forget about it. But they've been very, very successful. The Tasmanians were um, successful in the early days when I started. But, um, you know, there's plenty of um, uh, winners from across the whole of the country. Last time, actually, it was pretty well spread out. So I think that's the, the big thing. And, you know, they don't get a big opportunity. Some we don't give out any results prior. To the competition, you know, if you're someone from Western Australia thinking that you're coming across, and we've had a few, and um, you know, then they've been successful, and they've been uh, fortunate enough to be there on, at the event on the night, and yeah, but last time it was um, Terry Nolan, who's been an exhibitor since I started since the dawn of time. Yes, possibly. <laughs> yeah. Yes, well, he's before my time, but um, <laughs> I was at a language and standards committee meeting in Brisbane one time, and they were all talking about. Um, carcass competitions and and uh, Terry said that the Beef Australia one in his opinion was the, the pinnacle thing so and um, after his last result I'm sure he would only you know further that that in his regard so it was good to see him as I said like he's batter class winner previously but yeah, he got reserve and the reserve and the champion carcass last time so which was you know good credit to him and absolutely yeah, as a passionate producer, he's not just, you know, people talk about Terry and he's a passionate processor and that type of thing, but he's been a long-time passionate uh, producer and, um, you know, sadly he'd lost his dad not long before 
the last event, and um, I'm sure he had, he had a bit of a tear in his eye when I was talking to him on the night. Oh, gosh. Um, we discussed his dad. So, yeah, I think, you know, that's that's what it's all about. It's passion that everyone has for it. And, you know, you know and the thing for me that I've learned over time is that, you know, you walk into beef plants and, and um, you know, and you meet people that have got just as much passion for what they do and their side of the industry as what any producer that I've ever met has, and that's the thing that, I think stands us in good stead. Absolutely. Now you've you've talked a lot about the um, you know different states and locations of the plants and, and and carcasses, but you know I imagine when you look at beef, it really or even even an animal, I feel like it'd be like with X ray vision that you're not really looking at the at the skin or the breed. But how much does breed come into it? You, you're talking about so many different um, areas that have all got prominent breeds and different landscapes and that sort of thing. So. Does breed come into it as much as we all think that it does? Oh, well, I think, um, you know, that's the, the thing for ourselves personally on our, you know, we, we, we're fairly fortunate. We, we got a, you know, we, our breed has run on forest country, but, um, you know, we, we grass fatten the bulk of our, our turn-off steers and heifers off uh, on buffalo grass pastures. So, you know, when, when the season's with you, it's, not that difficult to be producing good quality beef from where I live, but that's the challenge is, you know, we all know what, what ones are the really high eating quality ones, but, you know, you've got to have, have the uh, nutrition to be able to let those animals express their genetic potential, and that's the biggest thing. And, um, you know, it's good to see some people have success, um, you know, with northern bred cattle coming and fed on um you know, grain finished and that type of thing, but the grass fed and, you know, if you can be competitive if you're a central Queensland producer with someone that might live near uh, Ebor or, um, you know, in, in Tasmania and that type of thing, it's it's about, um, you know, breeding an animal that um, is suited to your environment. And I think um, that's the biggest thing for me is seeing people that would have country that would be worth a third of the, you know, some some country that these animals have been turned off and you know they're only a matter of points and you've got a I think one of the classes in the last competition I think that you know and these are pen to three remember and um the top six or seven places there is only two points between them so it's very very competitive and um you know and that's those little things that'll get you over the line and um that means you've got to focused on what you're doing and um, everything's got to come together but um, you know we, we made a decision on our in our business to really look at the nutrition of our animals because we realized that our genetics were ahead of our nutrition so that's what we've been focusing on is um, you know soil health and that type of thing and putting legumes into our system so that we can maximize the return and that's what it's all about is producing quality beef and that's for us, it's been about the MSA compliance. Um, you know, when you start looking at ossification and that type of thing, that's the big thing that we've had the improvement in personally with our at our um, operation is the, you know, we don't get too many over 140 osses now, and uh, you know, we used to have them over over 200, and it's made a phenomenal difference to the index of our animals, and we're you know, always trying to improve the marbling and that type of thing so everyone's similar and it's just yeah they're in a different 
different environment and production system, basically. Oh, that was such a beautifully diplomatic answer instead of just <laughs> comparing Brahmins to like Cape Grim there. I was <laughs> I was waiting to see where you were going to go. <laughs> Brahmins do, do cop it a lot with, with the eating quality in a colloquial sense. But I, I think, you know, as, as you just said, it, it comes back to so many other factors uh, in terms of environment and nutrition as well as the breed. Oh, most definitely. And, um, you know, I think with uh, the current, you know, advancement, well, we've got the free trade agreement, but um, I can remember being up at the Mackay Show Carcass competition with when Stephen Kelly was the head of, you know, Nippon, which is now NH Foods, and he was telling me about um, how good a reputation the product from that plant had had in the UK. And I think um, Brahman producers, it's, not always about you know carcass competition ribbons or anything. It's a it's finding a, a niche in a market, and I think given um, you know the advancements in cryovacking and all that type of thing, and I think there's a real opportunity with with this current FTA with the UK. And you know, I, I go back. I read a book a long time ago that said uh, in 1972 um, Australia put 272,000 tons of beef into the UK. So you know, there's a no tariff uh, with a 38,000 ton quota opportunity in the UK and the next little bit, you know, like there's a lot of that branded product going to America and all those places. And um, there's there's a big opportunity for Northern Australia and the UK one, in my opinion. And I'm hoping that, you know, plenty of Brahmin producers will see that as an opportunity and continue to invest in, in um, you know, trying to improve, improve the breed and That'd be better, well, uh, well regarded, you know. Like you can't send too much product to put it in a cryovac bag in a container on a ship. So, sixty days, it's plenty of time for the calpane to break down the calpastatin in in a in a in a piece of barm and meat. So, there's a big opportunity, I believe. Now, let's go back to the, to the upcoming Beef Twenty Four event. You've got your um, committee together, as you said. You've you've been involved with this particular carcass competition for. a decent period of time so tell me who's on your committee and and what's the what's the feeling around it well the two um the most important people to me uh you know we've got jackie kite uh, as the coordinator and janine lau so um, oh you sorted then don't worry about anyone else you're fine yeah well uh, <laughs> they've been involved since i have been and um but we've got um david packer also from mla so he's the he's in charge of the msa program now we've got um you know, Dr. Peter McGilchrist from the UNE, um, the youngest of the preeminent meat scientists that we have. We've got Dr. Alex Ball, who's a very good friend of mine. You know, he's a producer in his own right, but, you know, spent, spent 17 years at uh, MLA and I got to know him when he was running the MSA programs. Yeah, and we've got um, Kay Becker from, from that Ralston area, who's she's the board member on the committee. She joined uh, the last one. Um, We've got Steve Chapman from JBS Southern, as well as uh, Amy Bolton from JBS Southern, Jess Laughlin from Greenham's, and um, then we go back to a, a young lady that's a locally out of Rockhampton, uh, up and comer at uh, Tees Australia, and Courtney Lakin. You know, I got to know Courtney with her involvement in the CQ Carcass Competition Committee, and um, yeah, wealth of knowledge around some of these things and got an awful lot of passion for it. And uh, and we've got a newcomer out of Kilcoy Global in um, Kate Power. And then we've got a you know, Mark Ingalls that um, used to be at JBS but now at TFI. Um, 
you know, Mark spent uh, time at MSA as well, and um, you know he's been in those branded programs for for an awful long time. And yeah, and we've got a young fella, Matt Richardson, out of um, DAF in Rockhampton's really keen um, young fella and looking to you know gain as much knowledge as he can. And um, yeah, and I'm where we're sort of starting out. And Matt, you know, we had we set up a working group that involved most of the people in, you know, trying to set the specifications and that for the classes and that. And um, good to see that Matt was involved in that. But, um, yeah, so it's a good balance of, yeah, very, very highly regarded people and um, people that will, in in their own time, I have no doubt, become highly regarded in the industry. Absolutely. It sounds like an absolutely ripper of a committee. Now, (laughs) going back to you and your involvement with beef, someone that's, you know, uh, been involved with the event for a long time. Obviously, you're on the committee and, and involved in that sense, but it, it, what keeps you, besides that, what keeps you coming back year after year? Oh, you know, I've attended every one of them and unfortunately the first one they had, <laughs> I was recovering from a knee reconstruction from a football injury, so I spent most of <laughs> it on crutches at the Cattleman's Bar. I was going to say um, at the bar. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> that, Crutches would be quite handy at the bar, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, so... Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's you know the the concept of it all. And prior to the last one, um, Jason Strong and I did a a live cross from the uh, Auctions Plus site, and they had a a rooftop thing. And I said to Jason as we were sitting down, you know, what are you those that thought of you know the concept of this event would you know, and all those years ago, would what you know what they would think when they look when you know if they could have had the vantage point of what um, we did on the first morning of um, beef twenty twenty one, considering you know the whole COVID thing, and for them to pull the last one off, and um, you know I, I think it's it's a testament to those people and the passion and you know Rockhampton, the beef capital. Well, um, yeah, I think it'll be the global beef capital at uh, at the 2024 event. So, and that, you know, that's been coming for some time. So, yeah, the amount of internationals, and then given that they weren't weren't able to attend last time, so yeah, who knows how big the next one will be? Well, that's right. And I just before we wrap up too much more, I did want to ask about the carcass competition in terms of the international flavour, because obviously the international side of things is huge for for beef, and it looked a bit different in the last beef. But the carcass competition is something that is um, so grounding uh, across the industry. But is that point you know that, that we really can showcase what Australia can produce and you know the the systems like like MSA and um and some of those niche markets so how do those two areas the international side of things and the carcass competition play together for the beef event well I think that you know the carcass competition is the showcase of the best of the best in this country and I think that's the other thing with with the special classes, it gets, um, you know, along with the normal ones, you know, uh, grass-fed, grain-fed, light-trade, heavy-trade, and then the ox, well, we, we've got those other special classes that are designed for, you know, you know those higher-end eating quality-type product, you know, the uh, those carcasses produce that. And so I think there's an opportunity, no matter where you see your brand fit and the people that supply your brand and, and there's an opportunity for them, you know, at all to find a class there that's going to suit them. And um, 
and um, yeah, well, and then you know, as with the whole idea of the event, you know, when you think about the the whole international side of it, and um, you know, which sort of started to take off in 2015, but you know, I, I did a radio interview, <laughs> taped one, of course, for for some international people that had for that were from Uruguay at, at um, the 2018 event. You know, the whole idea of Beef Australia has been that that international type thing and given that you know the importance of the export market to our our industry and if we're talking about you know the quality of it all well it's all you know there's going to be plenty of it those animals you know that are go forward to to uh, be processed for this competition and um, there'll be so much product that's going to come out from some of those carcasses that may not win a ribbon be be good as anything that you're going to eat anywhere in the world and I think that's the big thing and the quality of Australia's product. It's, you know, as we've talked about at the beginning in, you know, the reputation globally and what's a very competitive market, you know, there's none better and there'll be none better than those entries that come forward for the Beef Australia 2024 carcass competition. Is there room to sort of change the, the carcass competition a little and, and expand it in, in and really target some of those opportunities with, with international visitors? You know, obviously it's different to the commercial cattle one, which has been always been the challenge for us. You, you don't get to see, um, you know, the carcasses themselves. We'll have images and that type of thing of the cut surface area, the quartering site. But um, given that, um, you know, to get everything collated and everything like so, Beef Australia's in May, but our competition will finish at the end of February. And I think that's the difficulty in it all. And given that may not be too far away from having um, people putting entries in and um, that type of thing. So um, I just wondered, it's a bit of a hard one to answer. It, oh, it is. It's difficult, even you know, with the with the quality of the product. And you know, we're, we're, there's been discussions before about pulling some of the product out and trying to you know, showcase it and that type of thing, which is something that, you know, it's been in discussion and, um, you know, but how, how do you know which ones are going to be the winners? And, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's always, uh, it's a challenge and it's something that we consider, you know, can we find some good product out of um, some of the, you know, the entries to be showcased at the event itself? But given that um, the brand owners and that type of thing and, um you know the the shortage of of you know it, it it you know and people you know with their traditional customers and all that type of thing and how how the whole system goes it, it's you know it's we've been discussing something the politics. like that since the politics gets well, it's difficult. It's not the politics; it's the the being able to actually the logistics of doing it yeah. and um and you know like that's the thing we've you know it's, it comes back to resources as well you know it it's a it's a pretty big challenge to run the event as it is and you know so fortunate as i said before to have the plants and everything and then to try and um tell them that we want some products for you know darden up butchering company and that type of thing for example to send over to rockhampton as we've always considered it but you know as the supply chain rolls it yeah where well, that's the thing we've we don't want to interfere with that. That's been our whole idea is we've got to fit with people's supply and um, so the product, it, it needs to be sold and you can't be, it's too expensive to be sitting around. Yep, that's for sure. Now, just just I ask everybody that comes on the Beef Podcast this question and um, I'm, I'm really excited about your answer, actually. I think it'll be a good one. Are you a bit of a cook? Do you cook much at home? I do, actually, yeah. Oh, good. Uh, I would hope so. 
What's your favourite cut of beef for like an average weeknight dinner? Well, I'm a strip loin fan, so strip yep. loin. I don't think we've had that one actually in a few seasons of this podcast. What what makes the strip loin your favourite? You know, it's got that um, give bit of fat coverage on it that the cube roll doesn't have, and um, yeah, and um, you know, it's a, you know, I've always yeah. Well, actually, I think the Japanese favour the strip loin over the cube roll. So yeah, I'm um, yeah, it's just the you know the the cooking and the eating. I've always been a fan of a strip loin and you know now you can get them on the bone too so i'm looking forward to some of that trying opportunity to try a bit of strip on the bone but yeah it's um, it's strip loin for me but i'm a big fan of doing roast and um slow cooking and that type of thing so um yeah and i'm trying all different sorts of cuts so given your passion and interest in the carcass and and you know breakdown do you home butcher or do you go to the butcher do you have a favorite butcher that you go and get quite uh, in depth with there's um yeah one in rockhampton um at parkhurst quality meats so i'll always pull up and have a look at his counter and i know reggie and if he's there i'd have a yarn with him and we're always debating the market uh, at the time and um but yeah like yeah, I, I I spent some time. I think all my two years, over two years, going down to uh, North Sydney every every six weeks for the Safe Meats Initiative review. And there was a butcher in the in the train station there, and I'd always pull up and have a look. So yeah, I'm a bit of a. You're a butcher nerd. Yeah, I am. I am actually. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm a butcher nerd. Well, when I was playing football in Mackay, I actually did a little bit of butchering. But um, yeah. I, an injury put the end of that, but I've always had a bit of an interest in it. And then you see people that are, and what they can do with a beef carcass, you know, someone like Blair Angus, you know, like opportunity just with just recently to watch uh, Blair do some of his innovative things. And, you know, that's the big thing. It's the innovation piece now. And because, you know, Jason Strong regularly, um, you know, makes the statement that of 80% of uh, our value comes from 20% of the carcass. Well, you know, look at a chuck eye roll, you know, the two of the tenderest bits of uh, muscles in a beast end up in the in there. So, you know, the spinalis and and then the cube um, finishes in there. So the spinalis starts and, yeah, I think um, that's the big thing. It's um, the innovation piece is what we've got to – because, um, you know, the other one that I always look at, you know, when beef was a staple and chicken was a – was a bit of a luxury you know not everyone could afford a you know cube roll or a bit of strip loin so um you know those people the home cooks produce very very good eating quality meals from um you know per what we consider to be secondary cuts and i don't think there is a secondary cut on a on a beef animal we're just not utilizing them properly so that's, that's the thing right. that excites me so well and you know i think there are a few <laughs> things that need to be in i still can't understand exactly why um an oxtail is 31 dollars, but uh, i would <laughs> I, mainly because i love it so much and then <laughs> now it's become a luxury <laughs> yeah no well um people used to jay you know like lamb shanks yeah, that's what the dog used to eat years ago and Mm. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, well, uh, tongues even. You know, I was never, I've always loved Oxtar, but never been a big fan of tongues. No, yeah. I'm going to agree with you 100% there, <laughs> especially with the whole um, my grandmother and mother used to do it with the pressed tongue. With the, I was trying to explain yep. this to my kids the other day with yep. the cast iron. Was it cast iron? Yep. Um, Spring-loaded press. Yep. 
terrifying. Yep. It's terrifying. <laughs> Some people love it, and it's big in Japan. Like yeah, uh, yeah, tongues being an enormous premium over there, and I think that's the other thing that we've got to be mindful of in, in our industry. And um, you know, you look at the co-products and that type of thing, but um, yeah, there's not you know nothing's wasted really. I think that's how it should be, and. You know, if we're looking at efficiency and all that type of thing, well, that's the way it's got to be. And, you know, always looking to improve on and, you know, getting better better uh, eating outcomes out of what's, you know, that we're used to calls the secondary cuts. So mm, absolutely. exciting time. It is. Delicious, exciting times. Thank you so much for your time, David Hill. I'll leave you in your, your Serena showground car park. <laughs> um, and uh, we'll catch up with you at Beef 24. Look forward to it, and uh, thanks very much for your time, Jane. Thank you. That was Beef24's Carcass Comp Committee Chair, David Hill. Next week, we'll be hearing from the girls behind Black Rock Beef, an innovative and exciting business from North Queensland, a business born out of the family's commitment to high-quality, delicious beef meals. Talk to you soon. I'm Jane Cudahy. Thanks for listening. You can hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of our episodes. And if you are enjoying listening to the show, we would appreciate a quick rating and review. Visit beefaustralia.com.au for more information on this great event. Music